Well, we're looking now at the Bible. So you turn with me in your Bibles. You'll see the passage that we'll be studying, at least part of it, on the screen behind my head. We're looking at Hebrews 12 to 13, which, uh, as uh, you will know, is a little bit larger a passage than I've been preaching on recently. <laughs> so, anyway. And, uh, but we're going to read this section out. So we're looking at Hebrews 12 to 13. You'll find it on page 1009 in the church Bibles. Um, but we are going to be particularly looking, well, I'm going to particularly read, and then we'll study the rest as well. So Hebrews 12, 18 through to 20. Uh, 24. So let me read it for you. I'll just read it from the screen. You can follow in your Bibles. It's page 1009, Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. We're looking at the whole section. How church can change your life is the title of the sermon. Let's hear then from God's Word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is God's Word. Well, as I say, the theme this morning is, uh, is church and how church can change your life. Usually when someone like me talks about the church, they, they do it this kind of way. They say that, uh, you know, we all need community and church is community. That's the usual approach. We need to connect with each other. We need community. Church is a community. Get involved with church. Of course, there's a lot of truth to that, and it's especially uh, the case today. There's something about the modern world, isn't there? Something about this new reality in which we all live that makes community harder and harder to find. Uh, that's my experience. I think it's the experience of many of us. It seems as if there's this paradoxical quality to this life we're living right now, the internet and all its prevalent influence, paradoxically, we have increasingly this ability to connect globally 
but disconnect locally. So we know what's going on in um, Crimea. We, we, we know what's going on in other parts of the world. We have Facebook friends from India. And yet, there's something about life today that makes it harder for us to really find community. And I came across recently as an illustration of this, a story of someone called Joyce Vincent, a highly successful businesswoman. She was globally connected. She knew uh, Nelson Mandela, Benny King, Stevie Wonder. This is a person who was globally connected. She died. Her body was discovered two years after she had died in her apartment. She knew Benny King, Stevie Wonder, Nelson Mandela, but no one noticed that she had died for two years. That's an extreme example, but... That kind of reality, global connection and local disconnection, I think is many of our, much of our experience. There certainly is a lot of need for this community. I, I was amused to discover that someone called Lisa, it's a little news story, she, she moved to Chicago and she, she wrote how she had 900 Facebook friends and 500 or so Twitter followers, but when it was her birthday party, she didn't know whether she would have enough people to fill her invitation birthday party list. <laughs> Perhaps you feel that, you know, friends. It is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Global connection, local disconnection. Actually, what goes towards building community is um, something that we've known about for a while. Uh, Sociologists have studied this, and ever since the 1950s, they have the same three things. They say go towards building community, just at a human level, and they are proximity, closeness towards one another, repeated unplanned interactions, just meeting someone in the store or in some other environment, unplanned, repeated interactions, and a setting that encourages people to let their guard down and therefore build connection. We know those, those three things, proximity, repeated unplanned interactions, a setting where people can relax. That hasn't changed. Humans haven't changed. But the world around us has. And so we find it hard to connect locally. And so, as I'm saying, someone like me who's, who's advocating for the importance of church often begins this way. Church, you know, I don't mean the institution, I mean the living entity of the body of Christ. And someone like me advocates for that in some sort of official capacity. Typically, you'll hear someone say, well, you, we need community, and therefore, here's church, and it's a community. And, and, and so, so powerful a sort of rhetorical move is this that pretty much everyone is jumping on this bandwagon these days, even atheists. <laughs> Did you know that two comedians have set up a movement that they call Sunday Assemblies? And uh, they have a little promotional video on their on a YouTube clip on their webpage, and these communities are for, for gathering together to, and I quote from their promotional clip, try to live better, help often, and wonder more. The fact that it's set up by two comedians is interesting. It might be a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> Amazingly, they now have their very own version of church problems. They have a church split. 
I kid you not. One group of atheists has been barred from attending the meeting of another group of atheists, and they're setting up their own thing across town. They say about the other guys that they've become a humanistic cult. (laughs) Oh, dear. They are discovering that needing community and creating it is not the same. Now, to be fair and to be frank, I hope you and I always are frank together, straightforward. Churches have not always done that well creating community either, have they? I mean, there's so many different kinds of churches, you know, different kinds of denominations. You know, choose your own denomination abomination. (laughs) And we all have our own denominational backgrounds. I do too and honor them, but it's confusing, isn't it? Have you heard the old story about how Jesus healed two different people, one with mud and the other without mud? And uh, it's a good thing that didn't happen today, otherwise we'd have two groups, the Muddites and the anti-Muddites. So we certainly need community, people, religious, non-religious, everyone needs it, especially today, the internet creating global connection and local disconnection, but how do we go about getting it? Well, the book of Hebrews is written to answer that question. The original uh, readers, Hebrew Christians, were wondering about whether they should really stick to the church or move on, move back to something different. They were facing various challenges, and the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to them to explain to them this real church, not the institution, but the living body of Christ, and therefore why it is worth sticking to. With why, when we re- see, when we really understand church as it is biblically, we move past this idea of it being just a religious institution to realize that actually, at this point right now, we are connecting with the focal point of the whole universe, Jesus Christ Himself, and we're gathering around that, and we we stick. We have a unity to our community. We need, we need to understand it right to get that. It's hard. We have so many different voices out there, so many different church backgrounds, so many different messages, different things said on radio, TV, internet, whatever. It gets confusing. I hope you can take a little bit of this, this humor. It's, it's a story. It's a little sacrilegious. I hope that's okay. It's a story about a boy. He wanted a bike for his birthday. I hope you can live with this. He's He'd been to church a few times with his family, so he knew some of the prayer phrases from different kind of churches. So he wanted this bike. So first of all, he thought he'd start with a very sophisticated kind of prayer language. And, you know, Almighty and most merciful Father, I do not presume on your omnipotent condescension and considering all your immensities, could I please have a new bike by 6.30 tomorrow morning? World without end, amen. Well, 6.30 and there was no bike, and so he'd, he'd heard a different kind of prayer approach, so he thought he'd try a different approach. God, I name and claim the bike. I can see it. It's blue. It's got little red stripes and yellow dots, and I name and claim it. There it is. 6.30, no bike. 
So finally he thought he'd try a different approach. And in the house where he grew up, there was a little statue of Mary on the mantelpiece. He found this uh, statue as his mother was watching. He, he grabbed the statue and hid it under his, under his cloak. And he ran out the door with it. And the mother was watching. What was he doing? And then a few minutes later, he comes back in without the statue of Mary. He falls on his knees and he says, If you ever want to see your mother again... How do we get past all this religious thing to actually realize that this is a spiritual body gathering around the point of unity as a community? How do we conceptualize that? And then how do we live that? Well, the Hebrews is written for that purpose. A very famous phrase right in the heart of it, the nexus of the book of Hebrews is, do not stop meeting together, but even more, more and more as you see the day approaching. Don't stop meeting together. It's the purpose of the book of Hebrews. And then he's he's landing that message now in the passage we're looking at uh, this morning. Two points and two images that go with the points. Understanding the church, chapter 12, being the church, chapter 13, two images, two mountains, two cities. Let me explain it for us. Understanding the church, then, two mountains. You can see it on the screen behind me or in the Bibles in front of you. First, he says what they have not come to. They've not come to a certain kind of mountain. That, of course, is the mountain where the Ten Commandments were given by Moses in the Old Testament to the people of God. You haven't come to that mountain. Not that mountain. Now, verse 22. But you have come to a mountain. Which mountain? Mount Zion. Of course, that's uh, right at the heart of the city of David doesn't mean it physically, he means it spiritually. It's not, this mountain is not a mountain you can touch. He's comparing two mountains, not Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion. Not the amazing thing for these Hebrew Christians to have read. You haven't come to the mountain where Moses gave the Ten Commandments. You've come to this mountain? Now, there are some things about these two mountains that were the same. The argument the author's using is from lesser to greater, and there are some things that remain the same on that trajectory. They're both assemblies. The word assembly is the word church, ecclesia in the original. It just means church, gathering. It's just used as a gathering. A church is an assembly. It's a gathering. So the archetype of the gathering is the gathering around that mountain when the Ten Commandments were given, the Word of God. Now there are gatherings, assemblies, that's a church, it's an ecclesia, a gathering around the Word. That's the same. Church is a gathering around the Word of God. What is church? God's people gathered around God's Word. It's an assembly around God's Word. That's an ecclesia, an assembly around God's Word. That's the same. That's why we're so committed to the Bible. I ask myself this sometimes. What's going on in our society? Maybe you do. What's going on in our culture And it's tempting for me to start pointing fingers at other elements in our society without looking at the church and saying to ourselves, maybe we're not being heard because we have become so empty of having a voice. We're so empty-headed. We've geared our churches towards providing products for consumers, not preaching the word for worshippers. And so we, we have so little to say. It seems so cheesy and crass and meaningless. We have no voice. 
Because we're not an assembly around God's word coming down to to listen more carefully to it. If they listen carefully to that word, how much more then should we listen to the word of Jesus? For it is the word of Jesus, Mount Zion, spiritual assembly around the firstborn, he says, that is Jesus. Uh, I think that's what he means here. Jesus and us in Jesus, he defines the firstborn. Earlier in the book, Hebrews 1 verse 6, he identifies this firstborn as literally the prior, the prior person. He says that's Jesus. So we're gathered around Jesus and his word. The word is spoken from the mountain. (laughs) And even so then, must we be much more careful to listen to this word. So our churches today lack content, they lack thought, they lack therefore credibility and influence. But the word is spoken is, is to be the same. The difference is the message is now fulfilled. So verse 24, we have come to Jesus. What's all that about? What's the whole Old Testament about? Who is it pointing to? It's all pointing to Jesus. It's not a random collection of nice little stories. It's not a random collection of rules and vague, strange things about what you wear and what you eat. It's all designed to point to Jesus. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. He's the fulfillment. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So any kind of crime, however heinous, however bloody, however awful, however disastrous, there's a better word that's offered this morning of Christ's sacrifice for us. We don't keep that law. Jesus did. He died for us. We now have access to God. It's the same God. He is an awesome God. Our God is a consuming fire, he says. Same God. We now know how we have access to God. We have freedom and peace and therefore joy. This kingdom cannot be shaken. That mountain shook. This kingdom cannot be shaken. That is, it is permanent. It will not end. Fulfilled in Jesus, we assemble around his word. I just want us, therefore, to understand the church today. It's so important we to do. So often when someone introduces the church, we have things going on in our head, or our minds, our hearts, experiences growing up, maybe even here. Maybe at a different church, maybe something we've heard or read that's so different from this, different rules, different regulations, different ceremonies. God's people gathered around God's Word, around the person of Jesus. That's, that's, that's church. I want to introduce you for that. I want you to understand that as I, as I introduce that to you. It's easy, isn't it, to get the wrong point when you're introducing someone. There's a story of a person who was introduced at a prestigious event, speaking to financiers as having made $10 million on the New York Stock Exchange. As he got to the podium, he said, well, that was very nice, but I've got to make some corrections. First, it wasn't $10 million, it was 20 Second, it wasn't dollars, it was pounds. Third, it wasn't in New York, it was in London. Fourth, it wasn't me, it was my brother. And at fifth, it wasn't made, it was lost. People introduce Jesus, they seem to promise so much. 
They introduce the church and they seem to promise so much and perhaps it doesn't live up to your expectations and maybe the reason is that we and you, all of us together, have to ask ourselves which mountain What is the shape in our head, metaphorically? What kind of mountain are we considering church to be? What kind of assembly? It's an assembly around Jesus, the community with Him as the unity. I have one uh, dear older ministry friend, follower of Jesus, a Jewish woman from Brooklyn, and she has this wonderful accent that I cannot imitate. <laughs> and uh, whenever I'm talking about Jesus, which is most of the time, <laughs> I can hear her saying in, in my head, in her inimitable accent, it's all about Jesus. Or which mountain are you gathering around? <laughs> Understanding the church, an assembly of God's people around God's word, which is Jesus. What does that mean in practice, being the church today? That's chapter 13. Let me explain it for you. We've had two mountains. We now have two cities. This issue of the city of God is mentioned in chapter 12. It comes as a thread throughout the book of Hebrews over and over again. This, they're looking for a city that is to come, looking for a city that is to come. And then verse 14 of chapter 13, the author of Hebrews lands this, this theme. Let me read it for you if you can't find it. If you can find it, let me just give you a moment to do so. Verse 14 of chapter 13. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This issue of the city is going on throughout Hebrews. You, you may know the story in Hebrews 11, that roll call of faith. Why, why did they live with such commitment? Why did they live with such purpose? Why did they live with such joy despite the suffering? Because their eyes were set on the city that is to come, the eternal city. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city is to come. We don't know exactly where the book of Hebrews was written from, it says at the end, it's written from Italy, we, from Italy to Italy, may have been written from Rome to Hebrew Christians in Jerusalem, we don't know for sure, but this issue of the city, it's a prominent, important one in ancient culture, Rome, Jerusalem, the city, prominent, important in our culture, New York, Chicago, the city, skyscrapers, power, influence, stability, the city. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That makes all the difference, two cities. That's why the heroes of the Bible, Hebrew Christians, that's why they live for such passionate committee. They were seeking that city that is to come. That's why we are to do so as well. I wonder whether you have, uh, thinking about this commitment then to the church and to God and to Jesus once we've understand the church and now we're applying it. I wonder whether you've heard this powerful call attributed to anonymity. It's an anonymous, but it's very powerful. It goes like this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill 
a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man, that all the world should be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes how he uses whom he chooses. And with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. God knows what he's about. He was about showing these Hebrew Christians that they had a lasting city. See, this chapter 13 has several particular instructions for doing church together. You can scan down, you can look at it afterwards, but they're all grouped around two verbs, love and remember, love each other, love newcomers to the church, don't forget to entertain strangers, hospitality, it's loving Outsiders, love your spouse. Do not love money. <laughs> love. Remember. Remember your leaders. Imitate. Follow them. Those leaders who gave themselves for Christ. The Whitfields, the Wesleys, the Spurgeons, the heroes of Wheaton. Those practical instructions grouped around these two verbs. Love and remember. And they're all because of this prominent idea here of which city? Two cities. One will not last. One has been built now and will last forever. Why love each other in the church? Why invest in the church, because there is a city that has been built that will last forever, that will not fade, that will not diminish, that will last for all eternity. Now, we're not perfect as a church, are we? You've just got to be around us for about three minutes and you'll discover that. <laughs> you know the old saying, if you find a perfect church... Don't join it. Your imperfections will only spoil it. <laughs> Someone said to me once that he thought people were funny. I, I said, why? He said, because they want the front of the bus, the middle of the road, and the back of the church. What is it that would cause us to love church with our time, our talent, our money? Do not love money, but be generous. It's a distinction between two cities. 
It's an investment that will last. In other words, it's for your benefit. An investment that will last. I like uh, Dr. Zeus with his little cartoons, children's stories. He has one that puts it whimsically like this. It's a little booklet called, Over the Places You Will Go. He has a line in it that says this, And will you succeed? Yes, you will, indeed. Ninety-eight and three-quarter percent guaranteed. And we hear this promotional gathering, this event, this call for our commitment, this fundraiser. Will it succeed? Oh, yes, it will, indeed. Ninety-eight and three-quarter percent guaranteed. And it will not last. Only the city of God. Two mountains, two cities. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we uh, ask that you would help us in our minds to understand the church, that we're gathered around the spiritual assembly, the church, around your word, around Jesus. Be authentically connected to that, to not think of the church as an institution, but as an assembly around your word, and therefore to pay careful attention to that word and to live together because of you, Jesus. Thank you for that unity that gives us community. Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd help us to, in practice, live out the reality that there is a city that has been built now, that is finally to come, that will last forever, and this city will not last. And so invest our time, our talents, our treasures, our love in that city. Help us to remember those who have uh, done so, our leaders, come before us and to imitate their faith. And we ask all these things for your great glory. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.